Hello and welcome and good afternoon. It's Thursday and it's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper. I'm David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the only show where no one's listening, no one cares. The show where every episode's the last episode. Today we're going to talk about a one-part illicit party drug, a one-part maybe therapeutic drug. It's called ketamine. I myself have a little bit of experience with it. Of course, any claims I make about doing it are for parody purposes, because I would never admit to doing illegal drugs. We're going to talk to counselor Meredith Futernick Garrick, who provides therapies involving ketamine. She is a clinician. She has worked in mental health for a long time. She specializes in trauma, depression, anxiety. And she's not too far from me. She's a New Yorker living in New Jersey. God, I'm annoying. Let's talk ketamine, or more affectionately, Special K. Hello. Hello. How are you, Meredith? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It is nice to meet you. You too. Nice to meet you. I am rolling now, uh, just so you don't feel off guard. Okay. Yeah, no, I was I was looking at your website and Jew Pizza. That was awesome. <laughs> that is my website. I can be serious. That website is not a reflection of that. Oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> okay, well, then let's get silly. I really enjoyed it, yeah. I'm glad you like my rotating face. Yeah, that was the part that really got me. Okay, so I was talking about ketamine on my show maybe last week. Okay. And the producer of my show, Danny, was like, okay, let's get a therapist who administers ketamine treatment. And she found you, and we love you, so I'm glad you're here. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> Unless, I mean, I think we love you. I don't know. Maybe you're, who knows? You you might just have a, a lovable presence online, but when the truth comes out, maybe you've got some. <laughs> no, it's all love. We can all love each other. It's good. Good. So yeah, I was talking about ketamine. I had a, I used to do a lot of drugs when I was younger. I am now sober from alcohol, at least. I am an alcoholic and Xanax. Those are the two that I had a big problem with. Four years sober on those. Congratulations. Nice. But I actually hate this phrase, California sober. Have you heard this phrase? California soap? No, I haven't. I feel like it trivializes the fact that I'm an alcoholic, but it basically is like, and people who are in recovery, I guess, look down on those who are okay with some other drugs. Like if you um, don't drink because you have a problem with alcohol, but then you smoke marijuana, cannabis, then you're a California sober person. I hate this, but I, I guess technically I am that but I'm low on drugs, very low. But I did dabble in ketamine for the first time. Of course, I say this for parody purposes. I would never actually admit to doing illegal drugs as a non-citizen of the U.S., but I was, I did a little bit of these things at a festival in the desert, Burning Man, and then I did it again last weekend. When I was doing a lot of drugs, it was like a white powder, and so I, I have an aversion to doing those things now. I won't snort anything. It's just too much for me. But my friend had like a nasal spray it was like a saline solution spray and you just give a little spoots in the nose and boom there you are on ketamine i have a friend who's a therapist who swears by this who administers this to her patients so i've it's not unheard of to me right for doctors to use it okay that's my spiel that's what drove us 
to arrive here today. Let's take a step back. You want to tell me a bit about yourself? You're a New Yorker. You live in New Jersey. Yep. That's really all you need to know. No, just <laughs> <laughs> so I am a licensed counselor, um, licensed in five states, Florida, New Jersey, Maryland, Virginia, and Colorado. And that's like a whole story in itself. But um, I also am certified in a kind of therapy called brain spotting, which is a trauma therapy and started implementing ketamine assisted therapy in my practice this year um, after actually doing ketamine treatment as a client early last year. And it like changed my life. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what got me here. Um, my, I'm pretty transparent about like my own mental health journey and kind of my journey as a therapist has paralleled my own mental health journey as a client. So like when I, you know, I'm like a therapy client since I'm like 12 years old. So as, as I've found things that have worked for me, um, you know, obviously went to school, got my master's and then have been able to get trained in modalities that have worked for me so that I could then use them with my clients. So that's been my story. So you're a certified brain spotting practitioner. What does that mean? Are you proud of the certification? What's going on with that? Yes, I I am obsessed with brain spotting. So brain spotting was adapted from EMDR, which is a pretty well-known uh, treatment for trauma therapy. It's based on the idea that where you look affects how you feel. Okay, so you might notice when you talk about something, your eyes go somewhere naturally as you're thinking about it or processing it. So, so I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Uh, what town did you grow up in? Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Okay. You see how your eyes just moved over there to find the answer to that? It's almost like you're like looking for the answer. Yes, but I sometimes don't engage with my sense of vision. There's no better way to explain it. So in my mind, I just wasn't paying attention to sight while I answered, but I guess you saw me look slightly to the, my left, I guess. Exactly. And it actually doesn't necessarily have to do with what you're looking at. It's just that you, the idea is that your eyes went to that spot to access the place in your brain where that memory is stored. So we kind of work with that theory where you look affects how you feel. So, oh, you're not gonna be able to see this uh, cool model brain that I'm holding up on the podcast, but I am holding up a cool model brain and showing that the talk, traditional talk therapy, we're working from the top layers of the brain. But there's more and more research showing that trauma is stored in the body or in these deep layers of the brain. So we can't necessarily get there by talking about it. So the idea behind brain spotting is we tune into felt sense. So you're thinking about the trauma or talking about it. You actually don't have to talk about it. And you're tuning into what's going on in your body and then finding an eye position that connects with that feeling in the body to then process the trauma. It sounds wild to me. And there's studies saying that this this may well work or is it just some sort of wild theory that you're you're working on anyway? No, yeah, there's there's research that shows that this works. So I've been doing brain spotting for a couple of years now and like just transformations that I've seen in my clients. There's a whole community, brain spotting community out there and it's cool. You know, th there's definitely been a rise in these brain body based models because, you know, people are feeling like they get to a place in talk therapy that they just feel stuck. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing going to a Jungian, Freudian psychiatrist who always thinks I want to sleep with my mom and kill my dad. I've been going to that style of therapist for, I don't know, 15 years now, but 
I actually do get a lot out of it, so I can't really criticize it. But if it doesn't work for other people, it doesn't work for other people. Yeah, no, there's definitely benefit in being able to talk about the stuff. And then there's also some people and some things, right? It depends on the client. And I think we're shifting into this mindset that like there's no cookie cutter way to heal. And so there's there's so many options out there now that there's something for everybody. No cookie cutter way to heal. All right. That I think brings us nicely back to ketamine. Uh, yeah. I have a friend who uh, he never got it under direction from a doctor, but he used lozenges, which to me already sort of separates it from a party drug, even though it's party drug in name. And he takes a little bit every day and he swears by it. His life before and after he claims is there's a palpable difference in his mood state. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know if cured his depression, but helped him sort of get over it to the point where he's uh, not remission. Yeah, in remission. That's the word. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so for those who don't know what ketamine is, first of all, what was it originally used for? Do you know? Yes. So ketamine originally was used as an anesthetic. Um, It's one of the world's health organization's most, this is not the right word, necessary drugs or... Essential, maybe? Essential drugs? Essential. Thank you. Yes, essential. That was the word. I know because I have a lot of skin fungus and uh, terbinafine or lamisils on there. It's my favorite one. You know the list. You, you got it down. You know the list. <laughs> and then, right, then it kind of got a bad rep when people started realizing, oh, this could be used, you know, as a party drug. Um, and so it, it kind of got a bad rep. And then I think it was early, yeah, early 2000s. I, I'm not exactly sure how this happened, but someone along, somewhere along the lines realized, oh, if we, we give this to someone in a low dose, it helps with depression, like pretty effectively. And so then they started doing research on using ketamine in low doses for depression. Yeah, I mean, there's so many drugs that like, for example, in Canada, they call it gravel. In the US, they call it Dramamine, um, Robitussin. If you take it in high doses, it has very different effects than you take it in low doses. And so it's not surprising to me that somebody found this. What happens to you when you take it? I mean, I guess I could answer that as well, but I'm curious from your point of view. So right in high doses, it, just, it knocks you out. But in low doses, you have this kind of dissociative journey for about 45 minutes. So in you know a clinical setting, you're under supervision. So with my clients, I work with them either virtually or in person. I'm sitting there with them while they're doing their journey, just like holding space, making sure they're safe and everything like that. And then what makes this different from traditional antidepressants is that Traditional antidepressants, they work while they're in your system, right? You take the medication and it helps. But the experience that you have from the ketamine is what causes the antidepressant effects. So it's a little bit different. So actually the impact compounds over time from the actual experience that you have while you're on the ketamine. Is it addictive? Like once I start taking a little bit, I want to take it every day? You know, there's a lot of different opinions about this. And I think that anything can be addictive, right? Like anything that can be abused can be addictive because, right, people want to feel different <laughs> than, than what they're feeling. Yeah. So there, there is, of course, there's always a risk for abuse and dependence, which is why it's really important to work with either a clinic or a physician, a therapist, like who is going to prescribe you like your a, a proper dose for your weight and for what you're coming in for. And you'll, you'll be closely monitored, you know, over time. 
So if there's any sign of abuse, like you're not going to get any more. Yeah, that's why my doctor won't prescribe me benzos. I say is it addictive as I hold up my packet of Nicorette. Have I mentioned I've quit? I've been quitting smoking for six years now. I'm addicted to Nicorette. But yeah, I can tell you how it made me feel when I took it in high doses. When you take too high a dose, you get in a stupor. You're knocked literally on your ass. You know, you just lay on the ground. What's great about the drug is it kind of goes away in 45 minutes. So it's not like edibles, merit like weed edibles. Those last for 100 years, and it's awful. If you take too much, it goes away quickly. But at slightly higher doses than you're talking about for me, I noticed a bit of a synesthesia effect. Mm. Like I could sort of feel music in a way that, I don't know, music applied to my sense of touch in a way that I have never known it to, both not. But again, I'm not trying to talk about the virtues of taking this drug in that setting in that amount. So a little bit over time, after about two weeks, antidepressive effects are felt. What do people report? The most studied protocol right now is a six session protocol. Um, so it, it'll be six medicine sessions, usually over like three to six weeks. And I I say this, like people usually come to me when they've tried everything else and or they've done like talk therapy forever and they feel stuck. But I've had clients go from like suicidal every day to living a productive life in a relatively short amount of time with this treatment. Wow, that's quite, a, I mean, it's anecdotal, but if that's one patient's claim, that's pretty wild. Yes. Why do you think there's a stigma around using like psychoactive drugs that are typically abused recreationally for things like therapy? I'm thinking MDMA, magic mushroom, psilocybin, ketamine, things like this. Yeah. No, and I, I think that lack of research, right? I think people like rely heavily on the research. I mean, there's a couple of like rabbit holes I could go down about this, but... Does it start with Reagan? <laughs> <laughs> no comment no <laughs> um, no but so right stigma exists why do, why does any stigma exist you know lack of proper knowledge research i don't know and i guess once a drug's been used recreationally or got a bad rap for being used the way it was used recreationally, then it's hard to get away from that connection. Yeah. I mean, there could be political motivations behind stigma. There's so many radicals. Yes. So yeah, the lozenges, this is very fascinating to me. Is this a common uh, way to administer the drug uh, sort of medicinally? Yes. So the, the most researched, um, route of administration has actually been IV. So uh, there are clinics that do ketamine infusions. That's one route. The The lozenges is actually primarily what I work with now. I have um, a prescriber that I work with that prescribes the lozenges. And so first off, it's much more cost effective than going to a clinic and getting an infusion. It's typically the dose is not as intense because just because of the way that the drug processes through an oral route of administration versus like, you know, through an IV. And the other part, um, I think that's the, the reason that the lozenges are rising in popularity are, is that you can do a virtual session. So the lozenges are prescribed and sent to the client, and then they're doing the session, you know, with me present, they're doing their own blood pressure. So then that removes some of the barriers, right? Because if you're going in for a clinic to a clinic, you need a ride there, you need a ride back, you probably got to take the day off work. But with the lozenges, you know, if we're doing a session virtually, then you can be in, in your bed at home. And there's like that level of comfort that removes quite a few barriers. Is it completely legal or is it more like cannabis where it's kind of legal at the state level, illegal at the federal level? Like, could I travel with it? Do I need a prescription for it? What's the legality of it? 
It is. It's legal, um, but you do need a prescription for it. Definitely. Yeah. There's some question about whether or not you can travel with it. I haven't seemed to be to get a clear answer on that, but yeah, it it is legal and, you know, from what the studies show, pretty safe, effective. And I think the stigma, at least for ketamine, is getting less. I don't know. It's still kind of up in the air. I mean, the results are what they are. Like, there's no denying the what I've seen. My, I mean, colleagues, you know, the, the re, what the research is showing. So it's hopeful. Side effects? You talk about safety. Uh, there are drugs that are safer than others. What are the side effects of this one? Yeah. So ketamine, it's one of these drugs that it's so different for each person. Like you can have a completely different experience than someone else. And the same kind of goes for side effects. Um, I think the most common side effects are nausea and and high. it raises your blood pressure. So that's why before a session, you know, we're taking your blood pressure. If it's above a certain point, we won't do a session. Some people experience nausea like on a range, right? Mild to severe. And it just depends on the person. But those, I would say those are the two most common side effects. Um, and then just being tired afterwards. Like you're probably not going to want to do anything <laughs> after a ketamine session. Yeah, yeah. The nausea has come for me. But again, the doses and the ways that I've administered in the past sound nothing like this. I don't have a problem with it. I may have had one in my 20s. I'm now 37. Would you recommend it for people that have for lack of a better word, abused it recreationally? Or is this one of those things where if you've sort of used it in that way, you don't recommend it for this therapy? Again, it really depends. So, you know, I'm not the prescriber. The prescriber is does the like full assessment, but they are actually doing studies now, ketamine treatment for addiction. So I think it just depends on the individual story. I, I know I say that a lot. It depends. It's true. <laughs> No, I mean, most people, most therapists, most medical professionals, whatever, it depends on the patient, right? And their individual story. It does. It really does. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, I'm sure if you told the prescriber last weekend, you know, you went out clubbing and you did ketamine. Oh, now can I get my ketamine lozenges? I don't I don't think that that would <laughs> that would work out, you know, but but it might. I think it really just depends on like, you know, your history and yeah. Okay, so we talked about how it feels, we talked about side effects, talked about who can get it, how they administer it. Once someone has taken it and you're doing a session with them, what does that session look like? Well, before the medicine session happens, there's preparation. So any that could be anywhere from one to three, five sessions, just depending on how comfortable the client is, because a, a lot of clients come into this scared, you know, like they've never done something like this before. They are hopeless. Like, is this even going to work for me? You know, so there's a lot of preparation that has to go into it. Um, and that's usually just working on grounding techniques, setting intentions. And then the actual medicine session is it's a two hour time that I block. Some people do three hours, but that gives us enough time to like set an intention for the session. They take the medicine. It's about a 45 minute journey. And then it again, it depends on the client, but some clients come out and they have a lot to say. And I'm here kind of like taking notes, jotting down. It, it might not even be coherent what they're saying, just like words or themes or images that they had, things that they remember. And then we have what's called an integration session the next day or in the next couple of days to where we go over the notes that I took and, you know, anything that came up from their experience. And then how can we integrate their insights from that into their daily life. And that's really where 
the magic happens, you know? Interesting. So it's that day after or session after when you've got a sound mind, you're not altered in any way where you sort of talk about what you felt. And then this word integration is giving me flashbacks to the hours and hours and hours of therapy I have talking about being well integrated. Uh, but that that's where the magic happens. It really is, right? Because it, it, I, I think in our society, oftentimes people are looking for just like a magic cure to things. And this is not that either you know (laughs) like there really isn't it's the work you do in between and afterwards that really counts because what's all the other part that's happening in the brain is that this is enhancing neuroplasticity or our brains our brain's ability to change and so where someone with severe depression may have seen like only one path one like clear answer what the ketamine experience does is, is it almost like opens a second path and it's like, oh, okay, I can take this path, but now I also see this other path. And then when they start, you know, doing, practicing this new patterns or changing habits, they, they really stick because the brain is just more open to new ideas and new habits. Interesting. I'm picturing my brain as this crusty, dried up earth that's unmovable, unchangeable. <laughs> and then the ketamine is some water dripping on it and moistening it so it can be molded and changed. And so the ways I think about my life can are subject to change and, and new views. Is that a good analogy or is that terrible? No, I, I'm just like imagining the crusty brain. No, I think I think it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, no, the you know, the brain is amazing. Like I oh, I could nerd out about the brain, but like not this one. Not this one. This one's uh, av- not the crusty one. average brain at best you're talking to. <laughs> no, but the, our brain, you know, has the ability to change like and we just have to put in the work to to do that. though. <laughs> yeah. People ask me about my experience with psychedelics and it changes you. I, I can't explain. It's like imagine you only ever lived in your small town and then you traveled the world. It, w- it would change you. And I, I feel like sometimes my experiences with psychedelics have changed me in a way, not for better, not for worse, just, I don't know, for like, for example, this is kind of an ugly thought, but the happiest I've ever felt, this I'm someone who's diagnosed with major depression and I've struggled with it my whole life. The happiest I've ever felt is when I took too much MDMA. Again, this is for parody purposes. I would never admit to doing illegal drugs. Uh, and that changes you. It changes your reference for what happiness, feeling comfortable in your own skin feels like. And... Yeah, for people who've never experienced psychedelics, I don't know if I can tell them it'll change them for the better or for the worse, but it does change you. Uh, And that's kind of what I'm hearing about this therapy, but in a much more kind of muted, you know, safe, uh, you know, therapy kind of way. Right. Also, so I'm almost done with this year long program to become a certified psychedelic assisted therapist. And, you know, there used, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term like bad trip, like having a bad trip. Sure. And so now, you know, the idea is that really why, why that happens is lack of preparation and integration. So that like the preparing before and then the integration afterwards, also the set and setting, right? So probably if you're using psychedelics recreationally, maybe you're not focused on the set and setting. Like, is this going to be a safe space? Is the pile of clothes on my floor going to look like a monster in a few minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Do not do drugs in a messy home. That is too stressful. (laughs) So, so that this is a big part of it, right? And this is a really important piece of the therapeutic part. 
you know, is that like my office, like the set and setting in my office is very conducive to this experience because I know every picture on the wall matters. The the seating arrangement matters. And it's really paying attention to that. And then also being able to process your experience um, in a safe space is like key. Interesting. You mentioned bad trip. I was talking about my experience, but it, it was really the best trip I've ever had. And I kind of regret it in a way because it just altered my view of what happiness and contentment and feeling comfortable in, in your own skin can be in a way that, I don't know, just changed me. And I'm also latching on to the word trip. I know it's a cliche to talk about drugs as a trip, but it really is a journey. And when you go on a long journey, when you come home, metaphorically speaking, you can be changed. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing again, but it, it is a thing as I've come to know it. Well, it sounds like we need to have an integration session. <laughs> well, that's what we're doing now. I just, the only way we could, yeah, pretty much. only way my producer Danny could figure to get me one for free is to have you on the show. <laughs> All right. Well, where can people find out more? This is fascinating stuff, by the way. I could probably go on for hours and hours, but where can people find out more about ketamine, more about you? If they're interested in this kind of treatment, where's a great place to start? Yeah, well, there there are a lot of resources out there. Um, my website is integrativejourney.com. And I write a blog every few days on this stuff because I like to do that. Um, and then I also have links and resources on my website to other resources. Cool. Well, that's a great place to do it. Meredith, thanks for chatting with me today. This went by really quickly and uh, I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me on the show. Hey, let's uh, let's do it again sometime. Sure. Maybe. Sounds like a plan. Okay. Well, take care of yourself and have a good day. Thank you. Bye. 